Dear friends in Jesus Christ, as we continue our Holy Week journey, this is Sermon 5 of 14. If you haven't caught the earlier ones, there are copies of some of them available in the narthex, and they're all available on our church website. As we return to our series, we are on Tuesday of Holy Week, and when we look at Tuesday of Holy Week according to St. Mark, we find out that there are 17 different events that happened on that one day during Holy Week. In this sermon, we're going to focus on events 8, 9, and 10. Event 8, Jesus' strong warning about the scribes. We'll come to that today. Event 9, Jesus' surprising comment about a woman who gave a very meager offering. And then event 10, Jesus' striking comment about the stones that the temple were constructed out of. We're going to come to all of that today. First of all, we go to Tuesday. Uh, Beware of the scribes. So you might recall how just recently here we talked about the scribes in another sermon. And we found out that the scribes are specialists in mosaic legal matters, we could say the scribes were lawyers, the scribes were attorneys in a sense. Now with the scribes, they were very intelligent men, but the problem is many of them were spiritually dead, many of them were corrupt. So keep that in mind as we get into this section. I want to share with you some related scripture readings here. First of all, going to Exodus chapter 22. You shall not afflict any widow or orphan. What does it mean to afflict someone? It means to oppress them. It means to humiliate them. The Bible says, do not do that to a widow or an orphan. Keep that in mind. And then going to Luke chapter 11, Jesus said these words to the scribes. He said to them, Woe to you lawyers as well, for you weigh men down with burdens hard to bear, while you yourselves will not even touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you lawyers, you have taken away the key of knowledge, For you yourselves did not enter, and you hindered those who were entering. So with what Jesus said there, the scribes were doing very spiritually harmful things to the people. And then finally in James chapter 3, verse 1, Let not many of you become teachers of God's word, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment, we could say a stricter scrutiny, a stricter examination. So those who are teaching the Word of God, they should do their homework, they should dig in, they should make sure they're telling the truth, because they're going to be judged in a more strict manner. Well, with all of that said, let's get right to the text now for day number 12. We're in Mark chapter 12, picking up in verse 38. In Jesus' teaching, he was saying, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like respectful greetings in the marketplaces and chief seats in the synagogues 
in places of honor at banquets who devour widows' houses and for appearance' sake offer long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. So Jesus wanted to point out to the people, hey, these scribes who look so great and wonderful, these men are trying to look wonderful on the outside when in fact they have very evil intentions. That's really what he was saying to them. Looking at it a little bit more carefully, here they are wearing the long robes, so they look like they're religious men. They're receiving these very respectful greetings. When you go to some kind of an event, they're sitting in the best seats. But really what Jesus was saying, these men are devils on the inside. How were they being devils? These men were taking money from the widows in exchange for worthless prayers. So they really were robbing the widows because their prayers were not connected to the Almighty God. Their prayers were completely meaningless. I want to do something now that um, I hope no one is offended about, but it fits in perfectly, though, right here at this time. So let's understand that Roman Catholic priests are very similar to what Jesus said about the scribes. Let me explain. So with Roman Catholic priests, they look very religious. And when people see them out in public, they give them very respectful greetings. But what is the problem though? They are teaching falsely in some very serious ways. What do I mean by that? First of all, they are teaching that the blood of Jesus does not cleanse from all sins. The Bible is clear in 1 John chapter 1, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sins. They teach it does not cleanse from all sins. That is a huge thing. The devil wants us to think that the blood of Jesus, his son, does not cleanse from all sins. What are the Catholic priests saying? The blood of Jesus does not cleanse from all sins. They are being devils by what they are teaching. Let's understand that. And how else are they like the scribes? Well, they are praying prayers for the dead. Why are they praying prayers for the dead? You can look it up and you will find out they are praying prayers for the dead in order to help people move from purgatory to heaven. Is there any such thing as purgatory? When I see believers in the Bible who die, they are immediately with God in paradise. There is no purgatory. So they are teaching some things that are horrible let us not be deceived by that. They look very religious, it looks all great and wonderful, and they are teaching things that if they are believed, if the things they are teaching are believed, they will condemn eternal souls. Now, is every Catholic priest teaching that? Maybe not, I don't know. Are those their official teachings? Those are their official teachings. 
I put a link, you can check out a website. I put the link here in my sermon. I'm not going to share the contents of it with you, but if you get a copy of the sermon and jump over to that link, you'll find out some additional information. Let's go on to day number 13. So we come to the widow's offering here. I want to share with you a couple of scripture readings before we get into the topic. So we're in 2 Kings chapter 12, picking up in verse 9. It says, Jehoiada the priest took a chest and bored a hole in its lid and put it beside the altar. On the right side as one comes into the house of the Lord. And the priests who guarded the threshold put in it all the money which was brought into the house of the Lord. So in other words, they made a container which people would drop their offering into. And then coming to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 12, Paul helps us understand here in this passage that our giving is related to our receiving. Think about the kids. When Caleb received 10 cents, he gave one cent. When Noah and Brooklyn received 50 cents, they gave five cents. So their giving was in relation to what they had received. Make sense? Let's go right on to day number 13, coming to our text here. We're in chapter 12 again, picking up in verse 41. Jesus, probably weary from being repeatedly challenged that we've talked about recently, and also weary from teaching, sat down opposite the treasury and began observing how the people were putting money into the treasury. And many rich people were putting in large sums. So we understand that when people have a lot, they can put in a lot and when they do that, it doesn't have any negative uh, impact on their lives. Because they have been given a lot, they can put in a lot and they can still buy the new car, they can still go out to eat, they can still do the things they enjoy doing, even though they put in a lot because they have been given a lot. That's what Jesus was saying here. But then coming to verse 42, the Bible tells us a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which amount to one cent. Calling his disciples to him, I think Jesus recognized right away, hey, this is a teachable moment. I'm going to call the guys over here. I want to teach them something. So calling his disciples to him, Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury, for they all put in out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she owned, all she had to live on. Let's think about this in a couple ways here. First of all, I'm going to think about this woman regarding her heart, her trust, and the proportion that she put in. So Jesus saw into her heart. We can't see it into anybody's heart, but Jesus can. He's the Son of God in human flesh. So he saw into her heart. He saw that her trust was not in her, her one cent, but rather her trust was in the Almighty God to provide what she needed. 
And then amazingly, Jesus also saw her give all she had to live on. So Jesus knew, because he knows all things, he knew that the little tiny bit she was putting in, that was everything for her. That was all she had to live on. It's incredible what she did, and Jesus wanted to point that out to his disciples. Now, if we try to make some application here, what about our heart, our trust, our proportion? Well, Jesus knows what we believe in our hearts. He knows exactly what's in there. He also knows exactly what we have. He also knows what we give, and he also knows the attitude that we give with. Like the Bible says, God loves a cheerful giver. He knows whether we're giving cheerfully or whether we're giving like begrudgingly. He knows that type of thing. What I'm recommending for all of us, myself included, let us show our faith in our giving by first of all giving to God first. Not from our leftovers, that shows no faith, but rather give to God first. Hopefully we can give to God gladly. Why should we be glad? Hey, we have something to give. So we should be glad about that. God is the one who has given us what we have. So when we give something to God, we should be glad in doing that because of what he has given to us. I still remember years ago doing something like I did with the children up here today. And the one little girl said at the time, I can't remember what it was now. I think all I did was give each of the kids 10 dimes. And she said something like, wow, I can't believe that I get to keep nine for myself. Like she had the right attitude. Everyone's thinking, oh, they don't want to like let, let go of that one dime into the plate. And she had the opposite attitude. This is amazing. I get to keep nine. That's the kind of attitude God wants us to have. He wants us to be cheerful givers, and he wants us to give proportionately. So you might have noticed in the booklet, I had a little bit more in the booklet on that topic. So I'll let you look back at day 13 in the booklet to understand what I'm referring to. At this time, let's go on to our final day we're going to look at today, day 14. So Jesus foretells here the destruction of the temple. Keep in mind now, keep in mind now there were two temples. So the first one was built by Solomon. And then we have a second temple built after, the, after they return from their captivity in Babylon. So this reading here is talking about the second temple. We're in Jeremiah chapter 7, and it says, But go now to my place, which was in Shiloh, where I made my name dwell at first, and see what I did to it because of the wickedness of my people Israel who treated the Ark of the Covenant like a good luck charm. And now, because you have done these things, declares the Lord, and I spoke to you, rising up early and speaking, but you did not hear. And I called you, but you did not answer. Therefore, I will do to the house which is called by my name, in which you trust, and to the place which I gave you and your fathers, as I did to Shiloh. I will cast you out of my sight, as I have cast out all your brothers, all the offspring of Ephraim.
So that's the reading from Jeremiah, and that's pointing ahead to what would eventually happen to the second temple. That's what Jesus is going to speak about right here in the text. So we're just getting into chapter 13 now. There are some great readings to come, but this is just the very beginning here of 13. The Bible says, as Jesus was going out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, teacher, behold, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left upon another which will not be torn down. It's a really striking thing that Jesus said to them. So thinking about the second temple, we come to the time of Herod the Great, and what he decided to do is enter into a remodeling project of the second temple. So he started around 20 BC, and this remodeling project went on for 84 years. Can you imagine that? Now, it went on way beyond the life of Herod the Great, but all this time, though, so I want to read a quote here from the Lutheran Study Bible. It says, huge stone blocks, some measuring 37 feet long, 18 feet wide, and 12 feet high, and decorated with gold, were used to build Herod's temple, or this remodeled temple that we refer to as Herod's temple. I mean, these blocks are bigger than a semi-truck trailer, and they're made out of stone. How could they ever manipulate blocks that size back at that time? But yet, that's what Jesus' disciples, they're like marveling, like, look at the temple, look at these huge stones, this is unbelievable. Now, what did Jesus say? He said, not one stone will be left upon another. Do you know how tall the temple was? The temple was nine stories tall. Have you ever been to Parma Hospital on the ninth floor? That's the top floor of Parma Hospital. That's a nine-story building. The temple was that tall. Isn't that incredible? And Jesus is saying, not a single stone will be left on another. Why did that happen? Well, did it happen? Yes, it did. It happened almost exactly 40 years after Jesus said it would happen. That is when it came to pass. Why did that happen? Well, when the Romans finally conquered Jerusalem, the temple ended up getting torched. And the fire of the temple was so intense. Now keep in mind, so much of inside the temple was all plated with gold and silver. When the fire was burning with a great heat inside the temple, the gold and the silver melted. Where did the gold and silver go? It ran in between the stones. So, of course, everybody wants gold and silver at any cost, don't they? So what were the soldiers willing to do? They were willing to turn over every stone to not let a single stone be left on another so they could get in between the stones and draw out the gold and silver that had melted in between the stones. So Jesus said it would happen, and then 40 years later, just as he had promised, it took place. God wants us to know 
that whatever Jesus says, it's always, always true. So let us believe him. Going back to the topic I mentioned earlier, let us know that he is the very son of God in human flesh. He did live a perfect life for us. He did bear our sins. He did receive the wrath of God. And through him and through his work and through the work of the Holy Spirit, working godly sorrow within us, working repentance within us, giving us the gift of faith in Jesus, let us know that we are washed completely clean of all of our sins. Do we deserve it? By no means. Can we earn it? No way. It's all a gift from God. So let us know that through Jesus, we have God's great blessing of forgiveness and no matter who might try to tell you otherwise, do not believe them. Let's always go with the Bible. Let's always know the Bible is God's holy word. The Bible is true. There is much more to come yet, but for today, though, let us pray. Lord Jesus, you have warned us, taught us, and laid down your life for us. In response, grant us wholehearted gratitude. Grant us deep devotion for you and grant us willing obedience according to all that you desire for us to say and to do in our lives. In your holy name we pray. Amen.